Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In London, this is The Economist. You're listening to Tasting Menu, our pick of the week stories to get your juices flowing as we start the week. I'm Anne McElvoy, head of Economist Radio. And on today's menu, repurposing space technology for the chicken coop. The social media stars disrupting one of the world's oldest sports. And we talk to friends and colleagues of the late John McCain about the legacy of the warrior senator. But first, our cover story. Silicon Valley is often described as being a bit like Florence in the Renaissance. In the age of big tech, this tiny finger of land on the edge of the Pacific Ocean has global and irresistible influence. Giants such as Apple, Facebook, Google and Netflix all claim Silicon Valley as their birthplace and home, as do trailblazers such as Airbnb, Tesla and Uber. The Bay Area has the 19th largest economy in the world, ranking above Switzerland and Saudi Arabia. Some of its inventions have been ludicrous. Internet-connected teapots, or an app that sold people coins to use at laundromats. But others are world beaters, databases, smartphones, microprocessor chips. But as we reported, there's trouble brewing in the valley. Last year, more Americans left the county of San Francisco than arrived. So many startups are branching out into new places that the trend has a name, off-Silicon Valleying. The outrageous price of living in the promised land is one deterrent, and there are new attractions luring startups to pastures new. Capital is becoming more widely available to bright sparks everywhere, thanks to the tools that the Valley's own firms have produced, from smartphones to video calls to messaging apps, teams can work effectively from different offices and places. So the geography of innovation is changing. The Miami Fort Lauderdale area now ranks first for startup activity in America, based on the density of startups and new entrepreneurs. Phoenix and Pittsburgh have become hubs for autonomous vehicles. New York for media startups, London for fintech, Shenzhen for hardware. None of these places can match the valley on its own. Between them, they point to a world in which innovation is more distributed. But there's a catch. To find out why peak Silicon Valley is not good news for the rest of the world, read the briefing in this week's edition of The Economist. It's available on all good newsstands, or you can subscribe. Just go to economist.com slash radio offer. 12 issues for $12 or £12. You might be surprised where some of those tech firms end up. A piece in our Britain section followed a company adapting space gadgets for a very different environment. Breeding chickens on a large scale isn't rocket science. It is much harder. The birds are bad at regulating their body temperature and the big sheds they are kept in can get stuffy. Flickering lights and loud noises make them anxious. They require constant monitoring to ensure they are gaining weight. 
But babysitting chickens is time-consuming. Now an answer to these problems has come all the way from Mars. Thrive Multivisual, an agritech startup from Shropshire, is devising a chicken-weighing robot based on the rover developed by NASA to explore the Red Planet. The company plans to kit out the vehicle with cameras that can weigh chickens by sight alone. Thermal imaging gear and other gadgets will monitor indicators such as body heat and humidity, while sensors will prevent it from running over laggards that are slow to strut out of its way. So is farming the final frontier. Space technology is very robust and designed to withstand toxic substances, making it ideal for life on farms, says Claire Lewis, chief executive of Thrive MV. She believes that agriculture is nowhere near as tech-enabled as it should be. There was no end of invention in this week's paper, and an article in our Americas section proved that innovation doesn't need to be high-tech. Children in Havana use them as slingshots. Women use them to secure their ponytails. Drivers use lubricated ones to shine the dashboards of their vintage Chevys. Revelers sneak them into nightclubs filled with rum. Fishermen use inflated ones as floats. Condoms have lots of uses in communist Cuba, where many essential goods are in short supply. They're cheap and usually plentiful. Subsidised by the government, a pack of three costs 10 pesos, 4 cents. The subsidy is one manifestation of the government's keenness on family planning and sexual health. Cartoons shown before some film screenings emphasise the importance of safe sex. There is no commercial advertising. But with such demand, supply chain management is crucial. In 2012, a shipment of several million arrived bearing labels with expiry dates in the same year. After testing some, the supplier realised they had been mislabeled and would be good until 2014. Because Cuba could not afford to waste so much stock, the government relabeled the boxes by hand. That took nearly two years, at which point the sell-by date had come and gone. The data do not show that Cubans had more children as a result of this supply glitch. So they probably caught fewer fish. Time now for a taste of our favourites from Economist Radio. Americans are eating honey much faster than American bees can produce it. So fraudsters are buzzing around this sweet new opportunity, as Roseanne Lake told The Week Ahead. I was surprised to learn that, you know, a technology called elemental analysis isotope ratio mass spectrometry was developed over 25 years ago for this express purpose of detecting honey fraud. But it, now it's only detecting things like corn syrup, more complex things like beet syrup or rice syrup. They're imperceptible to this sort of technology. So now there's nuclear magnetic resonance technology that, that can detect up to 36 different types of, of, you know, things that could be added to honey. But you know, they're getting more sophisticated. And, you know, this means that incidences of, of honey fraud have gone up to the extent that it's now the third most popular target uh, for food fraud after milk and olive oil. In Money Talks, our business and finance podcast, our correspondent Josh Spencer reported on some serious disruption in one of the world's oldest sports. Last week, two YouTube stars, KSI and Logan Paul, fought it out in the boxing ring in front of record crowds. The fight was organised by the uh, boxers themselves, the YouTube personalities. So they took most of the proceeds. It was hosted on YouTube. And of course, the Google AdSense ads were alongside the stream. It's been reported that in total it made about £10 million. 
It did amazingly well. The Manchester Arena was filled out with 20,000 fans who all paid an average of about £135 for a ticket. And just under 800,000 people spent the £7.50 or $10 uh, to stream the event live on YouTube. The numbers that this event reached for two amateur boxers who have never stepped in the ring before is the same as some of the biggest heavyweight fights that have ever happened. So it's really shaken up the boxing industry. And the latest episode of The Economist Asks examined the legacy of a senator who pulled no punches. I last interviewed John McCain in April last year, before he became ill. He had sharp words for President Trump, for Barack Obama, and indeed for me. There's no doubt that what you keep getting at with these almost repeated questions is, is he mercurial? No. Is he Yes. Is he predictable? No. And do we want him to... Uh, do tweets about Arnold Schwarzenegger's ratings? No. Uh, So uh, I'm not defending him and this tweet storms that seems to emanate early at the early hours of the morning. But I'm sometimes intrigued at all of this, this criticism about Donald Trump when we've just had the worst eight years as far as national security is concerned uh, since the 1930s. The Economist asks heard from friends and colleagues from both parties who'd worked with McCain down the years. Senator John Barrasso, a Republican from Wyoming, spoke about how McCain's time as a prisoner of war in Vietnam shaped his character and his politics. To sustain what he did, I don't know how many could have survived it, but he did. And he actually came home stronger as a result, stronger resolve, so that in the in the Senate, he was not somebody that was going to be pushed one way or another. When he was committed and decided on something, that was it. People wanted to hear his advice, and they knew he would give it to him straight. He, you know, when he ran for president, he had the straight talk express. At one point, we used to refer to him as Hurricane McCain. He was so forceful in the positions that he was putting out. Human character continues to fascinate academics and amateurs alike. So we finish with an article from our Books and Arts section on the history and the enduring appeal of the personality test. Long a staple of personnel departments, these days personality tests are grist for dating sites and new age seminars. They are the ultimate pop psychology product, catering to both the age-old injunction to know thyself and the modern notion of identity as a personal brand. Yet they lack any verifiable basis in science. Take the best-known example, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, which sorts people neatly into 16 different categories. Readers could be forgiven for supposing that the MBTI was the creation of white-coated psychometricians. In fact, it was the work of a singular mother-and-daughter pair of amateur psychologists. Born in 1875, Catherine Briggs idolised Carl Jung, writing an adoring ditty in his honour, Hail, Dr. Jung, and an unpublished fan novel, The Man from Zurich. Her daughter, Isabel Myers, born in 1897, wrote mystery stories. The experts were sceptical, but the Myers-Briggs test was a runaway commercial hit. The personality test offers a double hit of narcissism and community. Respondents experience a rush of self-discovery and the cheerful lull of self-acceptance, but also the comfort of solidarity. After all, part of the appeal of type was imagining that there were others out there like you. And while I figure out whether I'm a frank and decisive ENTJ or an adaptable INTP, that's the end of this week's tasting menu. 
As always, you can find out more on these and all our other stories at economist.com or on your podcast app from Economist Radio. If you like what we do, or you have suggestions for how we could do it even better, do leave us a review. We love to hear from you. And do rate us on your app. I'm Anne McElvoy. In London, this is The Economist. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.